text message, uh, there's two text numbers, one is mine, one is Gary's, 772-260-6120 is my text number, and Gary's text number is 772-260-6220. So we get text during the show, oftentimes we'll, we'll be able to respond either by text or on the air to, the, to that, I can't make any guarantees about that because of the way things sometimes go, but we'll try to respond, and you can also text us during the week. And we could probably certainly respond to that. So in any event, that's two easy ways to reach the show. Some people like to email the show, which the email address for We Are Just Christians is justchristians at att.net. Justchristians at att.net. In fact, we got an email, Gary, I want to go over it a little bit today. Good. On the show, got an email this week. And, uh, of course, there's other ways, too. You can, li- you can click the Listen Live button on WPSL.com. That's the radio. So wherever you are, you can tell your friends. You can click the Listen Live button on WPSL.com, and uh, you'll be able to uh, hear the show that way. And then um, you can also listen on TuneIn Radio in the app on your phone, TuneIn Radio, and I imagine that's available on the Internet also. On your Alexa devices and on Google Chrome devices, you can listen to the show. Uh, live while it's on the air. You can also listen to a podcast of the show. WeAreJustChristians.com is the web address, and there's a podcast. If you go to iTunes Store or, or whatever you find your podcast, we're there. Or you can just go to our website, which is WeAreJustChristians.com, and uh, you can also uh, listen to the show as a podcast or record, download them, however you want to do that. So there's several ways. To get a hold of the show, we appreciate, as I said, you listening each week and participating in the show. Gary and I, as I mentioned before, we always come, obviously, with something prepared to talk about. But, but uh, you know, sometimes even that's spontaneous on our part. But the fact is, it's much more interesting if you'll call in. So 772-340-1590. You'll get a hold of us in some other way. Well, Gary, as I mentioned well, I know you've got some things, but let's let's take care of this. Why don't we take care of the questions e- email first. first that we got from one of our listeners, and this comes from uh, Jessup, Georgia, one of our listeners up in Jessup, which is in, in south. Uh, I think Jessup is in southeast Georgia. Could be wrong about that, but in any event, uh, we appreciate the, this listener listens on the internet, and here's the here's the question. In Acts 21, that's the book of Acts, chapter 21, James and Paul are having a conversation where James talks about the Jewish believers in Jerusalem hearing that Paul was teaching the Jews among the Gentiles not to follow the law of Moses. Sounds like the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem were continuing to follow the laws of Moses with the blessing of the apostles. That has never made sense to me. What's your take on that? Okay. Well, there are several things about that story, and I will say over the years this has caused uh, quite a bit of confusion among believers because most of us are under the impression, and I think correctly so, that when Christ died on the cross, the law of Moses was fulfilled. It wasn't abolished, but it was fulfilled. All the types and symbols were fulfilled in Christ. That law was, as it were, superseded, 
by the new law of Christ in the New Testament, and the apostles began to teach allegiance to Jesus Christ, not to Moses. In fact, the whole book of Hebrews is written to show that Christ is superior to Moses. The whole book is written to show that. And so there's this then assumption, and I kind of grew up with this, that it was kind of bad to keep the, the law of Moses. No Christian should ever keep the law of Moses because that was done away with or uh, superseded. Well, I think there's a couple of, that's true in, in a very broad sense, but I think there's a couple of uh, misunderstandings about that. But I tell you what, first, Gary, let's just go read this passage. I always, I've got this in Sounds my own, good. I've got this in my own mind, but, you know, we have people, people you're listening, and this may be an unfamiliar passage to many of you. So, uh, you're going to start with verse 17 of Acts 21? Yeah, yeah 16 or 17, yes. Uh, uh, Paul is traveling with, with uh, Silas, and it says, And when they had come to Jerusalem, when we had come to Jerusalem, uh, Luke was, I should say, Luke was with Paul. Right. When we had come to Jerusalem, the brethren received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. James is the, the brother of, half brother of Jesus, who was an elder in the church at Jerusalem. He went in with, to, with us to James, and all the elders, that is, elders of the church at Jerusalem, were present. When he had greeted them, he told them in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. He'd been on, on a, what we would call a missionary journey, baptizing and teaching Gentiles as well as Jews. Usually he would go into a city, whether it was in like Turkey or even over into Greece, and he would go to the synagogue first and teach there in the synagogue among the Jews, and then he would then teach the Gentiles also. Kind of like the pattern that Jesus mentioned to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, Jesus and Paul. But in any event, I'm getting bogged down here. So he taught, told them about what he got, God had done with the Gentiles through this ministry. And when he, they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, you see, brother, how many myriads, that's tens of thousands of Jews there are who have believed. And they all are zealous for the law. So there are a lot of Jews who have believed that Jesus Christ is the Messiah and yet they are zealous for the law. But they have been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children nor to walk according to the customs. What then? The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. In other words, the whole church is going to come together because you're here, and they're going to want to know what you think about this. And they've, and they've got they've got Jewish Christians who are keeping the law and Christians and apparently Gentile Christians all in the same group. Perhaps some Gentiles in this group. That's that's certain, and mostly probably Jews. Right. But but maybe some. And it says so. What then? Verse twenty two of Acts twenty one. The assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Now, this in context, I believe. And almost every commentator I've read on this says this is a Nazarite vow. You can't drink wine or have sexual relations, things like that. And, and, and then at the end of the vow, you have to let your hair grow, your beard grow. At the end of the vow, the Jews generally they would cut their hair, go to the temple, uh, offer a sacrifice or pay a temple fee and cut their hair. And then they'd be relieved from the vow. The vow would be finished. And well, there was, was no this, set was link this, to the vow. Was this the vow that Samson was keeping? Kind of? Probably so, yes. Okay. It was the most. It was probably the most common vow among the Jews, and it was really a vow of dedication. Today, uh, my impression from reading about this, Gary, and maybe someone could call it in if I'm misinformed, 
is that when someone was wanting to strengthen their spirituality or felt that they had uh, maybe been neglectful in their service to the Lord or wanted to intensify that, they would take this Nazarite vow. And therefore, they would have to have to eat only certain things and not cut their hair and shave, and, and they would uh, abstain from any kind of products of the grape or anything like that. And then after a certain period of time, and it, it's not a set time, they would then say, I'm fun with my vow, I've fulfilled my vow, and they would go to the temple and be relieved of that vow by the priests in the temple. So apparently some of these Christians, a couple of these Jewish Christians here in Jerusalem, four of them had taken this vow, and they wanted to be finished with the vow. It says in verse 24, James says, Take them and be purified with them. That is, go to the temple. The priest will sprinkle water on you, and you do do the ritual to go into the temple. You have to do this to go into the temple. And pay their expenses or pay the charges so that they may be shaped, may shave their heads and that all may know that those things of which they were informed concerning you are nothing, but you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols from blood and from things strangled and from sexual immorality. And then Paul took them in, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now, the misunderstanding, Gary, from this verse, and I'll say this to you and others and, and to the uh, emailer, is that somehow it's a sin if you keep the law of Moses. I don't believe that's true. I believe it would be wrong to keep the law of Moses if you thought the law of Moses was the way to salvation. If you didn't understand or, or, or uh, practice that Christ was the way to salvation. There's nothing inherently wrong uh, in, in circumcising your children. Paul says it doesn't matter any one way or the other what to matters circumcise is, your children. What matters is circumcision of the heart. Right. But to circumcise your child is of no nothing anymore, especially to a Gentile. We know that Paul, for example, when he took Timothy, who was part Jewish, half Jewish, with him traveling to the Jewish synagogues, he circumcised, uh, he, he made sure that Timothy was circumcised because he knew he didn't want to take this Jewish boy, as it were, into the, into the synagogues with him without being circumcised. But now Titus was a Gentile, and he refused to circumcise Titus for the very reason so the Jews could come to understand very forcefully that Gentiles did not need to be circumcised. Now, the other thing that is misunderstood about this, not only do we misunderstand the fact that there's nothing inherent in the law that's a sin to keep, and we confuse that keeping a Jewish feast like the Passover and going through some of the rituals of the Passover, we would confuse that with keeping the Feast of Saturnalia or one of the pagan feasts where we're worshiping and honoring a pagan god. The only thing that's happening at the Passover, for example, is that Jehovah is being honored. Now, we would have to understand in doing that that the Passover lamb is Jesus Christ. But there's nothing wrong with the ceremony itself because it's still uh, made to Jehovah. Now, the other thing that's misunderstood, I believe, among Christians is that the law of Moses was not only a religious law for a church or religious people, but it was the civil law of the land. 
And everything in Israel, to some degree, was was uh, shaped by the customs of the law. Not just the law itself, but all the customs that grew up around the law. And it just is, it's like being Jew, it's being Jewish was more than just a religion. It was a way of life. It was a culture. And so if you have an American, American today, we have all different stripes of Americans, some very patriotic and some not very patriotic, some that love their country sometimes too much and some that don't like their country at all. And yet I imagine they all watch fireworks and eat hot dogs on the 4th of July. The 4th of July is not a religious holiday, but it is a civil holiday. And it's, to be American means you kind of recognize that. And, and whether you uh, believe to whatever extent you do, you still you know, keep the – Labor Day is tomorrow. I've never been in the labor union, never will be in a labor union. And, and yet I'm probably going to have a hot dogs or whatever, cook on the grill tomorrow or whatever because it's Labor Day. It's just part of being an American. Now, I know that's a poor analogy, but, but I, know, I know Jews, Gary – who are completely atheistic or agnostic, who go to a Seder dinner at their family's house every year. And they sit there and go through the ritual of the Seder dinner, even though they don't even believe in God. Why? They put on the yarmulke. Why? Because they're Jewish. That's why. They circumcise their children because they're Jewish. It's just a part of being Jewish. Now, Paul was saying here in this, and so so was James, that... What's the, what, what people are mostly going to object to, Paul, is that you are teaching Jews not to keep the customs of the Jews to become a Gentile. Paul was not teaching Jews to become Gentiles in their customs. He was teaching them to become Christians in their religion, as it were, and teaching them the proper place of the law. But he wasn't telling them to be disloyal to being a Jew. Now, to the Gentiles, the elders here plainly said, They've never been under the law of Moses to circumcise their children, and nor are they under the law of Moses now to circumcise their children. And this was the fight that Paul was having with some of the other Jews. They wanted him to teach that the Jews, that the Gentiles had to circumcise their children, and they couldn't eat pork, and, and so forth and so on, right? Right. And, and Paul then, would not let them do that. The yeah. Gentiles are not under that law. If you want to keep that as a Jew and a Christian together, then you do that because you're culturally Jewish, Religiously, you're a Christian. You can blend those two things together. And, and this very question was answered in Acts chapter 15 when, when they talked about the letter being sent. They'd already, yeah, he quotes that letter here again. He tells yes. them, we've already sent out this letter that the Gentiles are not amenable to these laws, but these men were Jews. And so Paul went with them, I believe, doing nothing wrong here, going to the temple, letting these men fulfill a vow they had made to God and doing it according to the custom of the Jews. Paul understanding that that the exact law of Moses that governed some of this was, was fulfilled, but they weren't doing anything wrong by keeping this vow to God, nor were they doing anything wrong as long as the temple stood by going to the priest. What All that Paul did was Paul paid their expense. Paul didn't offer sacrifices per se. That's what it meant to be at charges, as I think the King James says, be at charges for them. The newer versions like the new King James say, I think it says pay their expenses. Uh, yes, pay their expenses, verse 24, that they, so they can shave their heads. And what this did was gave a visual symbol to the Jews, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, that Paul did not disrespect the law of Moses. He did not disrespect Moses and the priesthood. 
He did not disrespect being a Jew. He wasn't some kind of a, a Jewish traitor, you know, but that, uh, but that he was teaching something different about the fulfillment of the law. So it, that those are the misunderstandings we have today as Gentile Christians and far removed from this system. Number one, uh, maybe there's a third we haven't mentioned yet. Number one, that uh, it's not wrong for them to keep the sacrifices if they understand what they're for and that they're fulfilled in Christ and that the law of Moses is not a means of salvation, but Christ is the means of salvation. Secondly, this is a not only a uh, religious law, the law of Moses was a cultural or civil law that had to be obeyed. Uh, as long as you were in Israel, it had to be obeyed. Well, when I was in Israel, Gary, in January, we were in, um, on one Sabbath day, we were in um, Joppa, we were in Caesarea Maritima over on the coast that Saturday, that evening the Sabbath started. And uh, the police came through the streets checking all the shops to make sure they were closed. My brothers and I were walking around down there because we were gentle. They didn't say anything to us. But they were making sure all those shops were closed, the Jews were keeping the Sabbath. And I guess if you're a Gentile shopkeeper... You could say open? Well, I don't know. I'm saying they're going to look at it because you're in, you're in Israel, okay? Yeah. And there's, there's a mixed law about that kind of thing. So in any event, it's two things. Now then, um, you, you had to have to, and this is part of what Paul meant when he said in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, I think it is, right, about 9, 9, chapter, 1 Corinthians 9, verse about 20 or so, 22, that what, to the Jews he became a Jew, and to the Gentiles he became a Gentile, Greeks he became a Greek. He's saying that there are certain customs that I can keep when I'm with the Jews that have nothing to do with me forsaking Christ. That's just because I'm around Jews. I do that. When I was in Israel, I kept the customs of the Jews. I ate what they what they served in their restaurants without complaint because that's what they served, and they were careful about serving kosher things. I didn't. I couldn't order a pork chop, nor did I ask for one. Okay, because I'm in Israel, and then and Paul Paul then said, told Christians to accept these customs. When you're among the Greeks or Gentiles, then do as the Gentiles do. And this issue of circumcision was one of the biggest issues here. I don't think it, it's not wrong either way today for Christians to circumcise their children, their boys, or not circumcise them. If they want to circumcise them, that's fine. The circumcision won't make them more acceptable to God one way or the other. But because people have been raised with this idea, either to circumcise their children or not to circumcise their children culturally, different cultures in the world have different ideas about that. Paul says the Christian can do either one as long as they understand the truth about what God has said about it, that it doesn't mean anything. And so I'm not going to object about someone here saying I circumcise my children as, as long as they don't say, and you need to circumcise your children. Because God said so, you see. Now then I would object to that. And that's what James was doing here. Well, one, one of the things I think we also miss, Mike, and I'd like to bring this up, is that we're in, when we're reading Acts, <coughs> excuse me, I'm having trouble with my voice this morning, but when you're reading Acts and you're reading the, the letters from the apostles, for the most part, we're in a, we're in a period in the first century, there's a period of transition. Yes, and that's the third point I was going to make. That's right. We're in a period transition. of transition where both systems existed. Now, 
I'm going to go to Hebrews for a minute. I'm going to read something here in Hebrews 8. But before I read that, uh, Mike, have you ever used something that's obsolete? Have you ever had... Uh, Most of the tools in my garage are obsolete. Obsolete. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They still work, but you can't buy them anymore because they're obsolete. They're no longer made. Uh, I had a car once. I had a Model A Ford. I actually enjoyed and loved that car. It was obsolete. I had It was, it was 30 years old when I had it. But I couldn't go buy another one. But it still worked. Now I want to listen to what his time it, was passing away. His time was passing away. Let's listen to Hebrews eight thirteen. He says, "In that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and is growing old is ready to vanish away." And he's speaking of the old law here. Right. So the old law was ready to vanish away when he wrote that. Now, from a spiritual standpoint, Jesus had nailed it to the cross. It was not the method to salvation, but it was still there from a practical standpoint. And I believe this is why Jesus says in Matthew 24 that the temple is going to be destroyed because it was, a sin, it was an essential part of the old law. And God took it out of the way to basically put an end to this practice at some point in time. As long as it stood, it, people would be confused by it as it were. Yes. Right. And so it's part of the passing away of this. And, you know, Gentiles, you know, we, we have an account of Cornelius being the first Gentile that was converted. And yet most most scholars believe this was anywhere from, what, five to ten years after the resurrection of Jesus. So these things during that period, there was a progression. There was a transition into this, and we have to understand that. I think what we're talking about here. For the most part, what Paul is saying is part of that transition. Yes. Well, uh, John texts in and says that uh, more or less Paul would do whatever it took to gain converts. Well, I don't know about the whatever it took, but he was certainly going to appeal, not going to let cultural things stand in his way. And they did want Paul to prove his Jewishness. That's part of the point of it, that he wasn't circumventing his cultural Jewishness, as it were. We, we have the same kind of reaction to people that won't say the Pledge of Allegiance, for example, or the National Anthem as Americans. Now, we can debate that issue, but that's kind of what's going on here a little bit. Then the other thing, though, that, that uh, he says that John texts in is that uh, it says Galatians 5.12 shows how against being circumcised Paul was. Well, I'll take a little issue with that. Here's what, here's what that text says. Galatians 5.11 and 12. And brethren, if, if I still preach circumcision, why do I suffer persecution still? Then the offense of the cross has been has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Now what he's, and he goes on to talk about liberty. What he's talking about is not just teaching, preaching circumcision, that it's okay to circumcise if you want to. These people were preaching that the Gentiles had to circumcise their children, that circumcision was a requirement to be a to be a follower of God himself, that that it was a, a law that God required of everybody, Jew and Gentile. And Paul is opposing that law completely. And he says, if I was still preaching that you had to be circumcised, if you're a Gentile, I, I wouldn't be persecuted at all. So he goes on to say, I wish they'd mutilate themselves, these people that preach circumcision as if it's a means of salvation. The difference here is Paul was saying circumcision is not an article of salvation it's an article of personal choice or liberty that you can choose. Uh, the true circumcision of the heart 
Colossians 2.12, which is baptism, he preached of necessity, but not physical circumcision, the cutting off of the physical flesh, cutting off the spiritual flesh, Paul preached. But he, he was against them preaching that it was necessary for salvation. If, if a person today said, I believe in Christ, but I believe you have to, I believe you have to um, uh, offer up sacrifices and keep the Passover, I would oppose that. I tell him, as a Jew, if you want to keep a Passover meal, honoring Christ as the Passover lamb, that's nothing to me. But if you want to say that other people who are Gentiles have to keep the Passover when it rolls around every year, then I'm going to oppose that. And that's where the conflict showed up in the New Testament, I believe. Yes, it is. That's exa- And that's what's going on here with these men in Acts. Paul was simply showing those who, among the Jews who were reasonable, he was showing them, I'm not against being Jewish. I'm against you making a gen- taking a Gentile and making him Jewish. Uh, and, and, and then the reasonables understood that point. But there were, then the, it didn't fix the problem for Paul because there was always what are often called Judaizing teachers who taught that all the Gentiles had to keep the law of Moses. And Paul, was, Paul spent the rest of his ministry fighting those men. In fact, that's eventually why he was put to death. Because those Pharisees and, and, and even among some of the Christians opposed him to the death because he would not teach that you had to keep the law of Moses and so forth. Now, Paul died most likely before the temple was destroyed. So his entire life, rest of his life was spent when the temple still stood. And we were, they were still in this transition period. God destroyed right. the temple. And now there's no way for Jews to keep the law of Moses fully and completely. And so that makes the choice somewhat easier for people, at least a little bit. Well, he, he says in Romans 2, and beginning in verse 28, For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Basically, this points out something else that we need to think of. Christians need to think of themselves as the children of Abraham. Christian need, Christians need to think of themselves as a type of Jew. Mm-hmm. And we don't often do that. Right. Well, yes, that's right, exactly right. We are, we are uh, the new Israel. And we, we, we are the re- new Israel. We ought to, we, we ought to respect Israel. We ought to, re- we ought to respect uh, the Israel and the scriptures. We ought to respect the law of Moses. We ought to understand what all those customs mean. We ought to respect the feast days, not because we keep them for salvation, but so we understand how they're fulfilled in Christ and what they mean to us. We've talked about this on this radio show many times. I think this position is very misunderstood or neglected by modern Christians, at least in my experience. I don't mean that as some kind of blanket charge, but but, but I do think it is missed by a lot of modern Christians, especially in the United States here, where we've, we've grown up in... Gent- when I was growing up in the church, Gary... Uh, year, when I was a boy, I mean, the, the way people talked about the law of Moses was horrible. And my looking back on it, I thought it was normal how how, how antagonistic they were to the law of Moses. The law of Moses was given by God. Now, these pagan feast days, he mentioned he's talked about keeping days and seasons in the New Testament. He's most likely talking about the pagan feast days that they were keeping. And they would get confused about this kind of thing. And that's one of the problems I have with the Catholic Church is they've incorporated those they've things. They've incorporated those pagan feast days right into Christianity, and I've right. got a big problem with that. Yes. But I don't have a problem with you understanding and learning about the feasts of the Jews that God gave, the feast of the Lord that God gave. Is, uh, and we've, we've talked about a couple of those here in recent months. 
So that's an important factor in this. And I think a lot of, is missed by Christians, and I, I have a long way to go with this myself. I think a lot is missed when, um, when we don't understand or don't make an attempt to understand this. Well, we, what the law said, what the Old Testament says about these things. Well, the the bottom line is we need to think of ourselves more in terms of spiritual Jews than we do, than we often do. Yes, uh, yes, that's exactly right. Uh, John's texture says Matthew, compared to the other Gospels, has Jesus up, upholding the law. Well, the truth is Jesus kept the law of Moses. He didn't keep the. Here, here's the thing. I, I, he, didn't John's the, he didn't keep, he didn't the, keep tradition. the traditions of the Jews. He kept the law of Moses. He kept the Sabbath day. He didn't keep the traditions of the Jews about the Sabbath day. Now, the Jews conflated the two and mixed the two up, that their idea of keeping the Sabbath day and how many steps you could take and whether you could heal, uh, drag an ox out of a ditch or not or heal a man, those were things that they made up. Jesus kept the Sabbath day, but he also said the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was not meant to destroy people but to help people. And Jesus kept the rest of the law and paid the temple taxes, did all the other things. Until that law was fulfilled, then his apostles said that the Gentiles do not have to keep the law and the Jews are freed from it from, as a, from a moral standpoint uh, of keeping the law. They could then keep the cultural parts of the law. So this is the big misunderstanding. He, he, he didn't come on. They, they accused him of trying to abolish the law. He said, Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. You know, I, I like, I've read the Articles of Confederation years ago. They're, they're interesting. They're very, very good documents. But I don't live under the Articles of Confederation because they've been superseded by the Constitution. Constitution. It doesn't mean that I hate the Articles of Confederation or I should uh, uh, not think about them or learn about them. They are the predecessor to the Constitution. I should be able to see their flaws, their weaknesses. But I don't keep them as a law. Well, Mike, let's, let's read a couple in, uh, a few verses in Matthew 22. And I think that the importance of these verses are not often thought about. In, in Matthew 22 and 34, he says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That's what's brought over. That's the law. In the sense that Jesus was saying this is really what he, what God was getting at in the law. Yes. And that, that's what brought over. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. That basically covers so many things that are actually written in the law. In, well, it covers all the commandments of the law. Love the Lord and love your neighbor. The Ten Commandments are summed up in those, plus all the other commandments. Now, John the Texture also says Matt, uh, that Mark has Jesus declaring all foods clean. Matthew took that out. Well, I don't know if he took it out. Matt, Matthew's gospel is probably written to Jews. But the truth is, in the gospels, we find glimpses of Jesus saying things that are kind of prophetic. He said this making all foods clean, it says in in Book of Mark. He's he's telling you something that's going to be as as if it were right then. And and, uh, he's he's showing a day that when he is, as the Messiah, saying all foods are now clean. 
Look, if the law of Moses is still in force, all foods are not clean. clean. Right. Okay? Not to Jews anyway. Now, of course, Gentiles were never given the law of Moses. So as a Gentile today, I can eat pork, whether the law of Moses... If, even if the law of Moses were still in effect today, Gary, this is, what, this is what's so misunderstood by so many Christians. The law of Moses was never given to any Gentiles. It was only given to those who came out of the land of Egypt. My ancestors never came out of the land of Egypt, my physical ancestors. They're not Jews. So even if the law of Moses was still in effect today, which it's not, but if it were, I could still eat pork and shrimp because I'm not a Jew. It was never unclean for Gentiles to eat pork and shrimp. But it was for Jews to eat pork. There's a, and the reason was not because those foods are bad, but because he wanted to separate the Jews for a particular time for a particular purpose. Okay, This separation of, of God's people from the world in Christ is shown in different ways. We abstain from fornication. We abstain from drunkenness. You see, we do other things that show our separation. We meet on the Lord's Day to honor Christ and keep His Supper as opposed to the people of the world who do not do these things. There's other means of separation shown in Christ. But eating food was, has been, was never a part of the law, uh, the law for Gentiles. It was only for the Jews. And Jesus was saying there's a time coming, real quickly, on this, that, that all foods will be clean. So today when people try to tell me that we shouldn't eat pork, uh, I'm telling you, Jesus said all meat. Paul was very clear about this in first and second Timothy four, that God has made all food clean to be received with thanksgiving. So anyway, I'm kind of a I get perturbed about this because food is such a divisive thing. And the people today who want to divide us religiously and culturally try to do so on the basis of food. Uh, we judge we judge our Gary, we have these potlucks. All my life, churches have had what we call them potlucks, where everybody brings food to someone's home or a park or something, and we all eat together. Christians have been doing this for hundreds of years, longer than that. And we've, I've been going to these most of my life. When I, when I was young, people, oh, look, sister so-and-so brought the banana pudding. Oh, look, uh, uh, he, he, brother so-and-so brought the ribs, and everybody's happy about the food that was brought. In the last 25 years... Oh, I don't want that. Oh, that looks so fattening. Oh, I better not eat that. Oh, that's terrible. That's bad for you. This is what we're getting. Uh, this is what I object to. God said food is to be received with thanksgiving. All food is clean. If you don't want to eat the ribs, don't eat the ribs. Stop complaining about them. Be grateful. If you don't want to eat the banana pudding, leave it for me. But, but stop saying that food is unclean or bad for a Christian to eat. It's not. It's not true. That's part of the law of Moses, which has been superseded by Christ saying all food is clean. And, and basically, we talked about the Gentiles not being under the law. Paul says in Romans 2 and verse 12, For as many as have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many as have sinned in the law shall be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these also not having a law are a law to, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, for their conscience is also right. bearing witness between themselves and their thoughts, accusing or excusing them in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. Paul is basically saying 
there are precepts throughout the old law. And, and those two commandments that, that Jesus quoted bring over into the Christian era the things that are part of the law that are all brought over that we are all, that all men have been responsible for, for since the beginning of time, I believe. And, and so whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, you're still responsible for those precepts that were given. You know, Gary, I just noticed a, com- a comment by Adam Clark, a Presbyterian scholar in the early 1800s, on this passage in verse 20 about the Jews being zealous for the law. Here's what he says. Um, the Jewish economy, by that, that old way, use of that word means the Jewish system of things, was not yet destroyed, nor had God as yet signified that the whole of it, of its observances, were done away. He continued to tolerate that dispensation, which was to be in a certain measure in force till the destruction of Jerusalem. And from that period, it was impossible. From the t- destruction of Jerusalem, it was impossible for them to observe their own ritual. Thus, God abolished the Mosaic dispensation by rendering, in the course of, its provi- of his providence, the observance of it impossible. Okay, So he says, basically, that just the same thing you're saying. That it became impossible after the destruction of Jerusalem to do this, while that period, interim period or um, transitional, transitional period. period, you say, it, it wasn't. It was still possible, and so this caused some confusion. But um, as long as they understood that the, by keeping the deeds of the law, no man could be justified, they were fine. And Paul was not telling them to forsake the customs of their of their forefathers and of their society but to understand what they really meant and what they were. Um, so, Which was Jesus' gospel all right. along. That was his, you know, you, the traditions are not the important part. It was what God had said was the important part, the precepts that they were supposed to honor. I also want to point out one other thing. Paul also keeps saying it's, it's not a, a hearer of the law that's justified, but a doer. That's the law of Christ, too. We can't just hear the law of Christ and think we're, we're, we're good. We've got to do those things as well. Deeds are involved in this no right. matter what. And, and that's one of the things that I think is forgotten even today. We need to, we need to keep the law, the, the precepts of Christ throughout our lives, all of those things, the obedience to the gospel, all of those things are important to our salvation, necessary for our salvation. They can't just be passed over. In other words, we can't we can't come to services once, twice, or three times a week, depending on on what's being done under COVID right now for for whatever reason, and then ignore it the rest of the time in our life. It, it's when he says it's a new covenant. What is the difference between a covenant and a contract? I keep coming back to all these things. The difference between a covenant and a contract is. The contract is about specific things that we have to do. The covenant involves our entire being, our entire life. That's why it's called a marriage covenant, because it involves your entire life. It's not just a part of you that that lives with a woman for some period of time, which people have gotten in the habit of thinking. It's your entire life is part of that. Right. Um, What else can I say, Mike? that's, That's exactly right. Clark also, by the way, says that the expense of this vow, according to the tradition of the Jews at that time, was eight lambs, four rams, and oil, flour, and were all the expenses of the occasion. So you can see the note, you see number six for this. That might not be a cheap thing it's back then. It's not cheap. And so Paul said, you pay for these four men to do this, and then 
you'll, they'll see that you're serious about not breaking, not telling people not to keep the customs because you're helping these men do it. He was paying for them to do it. And um, <coughs> what Clark says is basically the, James said, look, show them by such means as are now in thy power that thou art not an enemy to Moses, that thou dost still consider the law to be holy and, and the commandment holy, just, and good. And Paul did so and bore the expense of those who from a scruple of conscience had made a vow, perhaps were not uh, well able to bear the expense of, extend of attending it. Had, he, had they done this in order to acquire a justification through the law, Paul could not have assisted them in any measure with a clear conscience. But as he did assist them, it is proof that they had not taken this vow on them for this purpose. Indeed, vows rather referred to a sense of obligation and the gratitude due to God for mercies already received than for procuring a future favor. So in other words, probably something momentous in these men's lives had happened. They took a vow to God and, and, and thankfulness for it and so forth. And so besides God had not yet fully shown that the law was abolished, as has already been remarked, he tolerated it until the time that the iniquity of the Jews were fulfilled up. And then by the destruction of Jerusalem, he swept away every rite and ceremony of the Jewish law uh, with, the, with, the, uh, with destruction. So in any event, that's kind of what even an older commentator says about it. I think, I think this is exactly correct in, in this matter, of course. And so... Um, we, ha we, we seem to struggle in modern Christianity, and, and I know why. I'm not say this, I don't say this uh, in a, with a bitter spirit. We seem to struggle with the law of Moses a lot and whether to keep it. And I think some of that, there's two reasons maybe at least for that. One of them is good and one is not so good. The good one is that people are concerned about doing what God says, and so when they read the whole Bible, they see all these things that the Jews had to do and kept keeping the law of Moses, and they think, well, that's what it means to be righteous, and so they want to bring these over. That isn't altogether done from a bad, a bad perspective. It's just not, I don't think, accurate or clear. The other thing is, though, that some people like to bind and make law where there is none, and they like to, they like to use these measures as means of control over other people. That's why you find, when you find what we often call cults or other um, religious groups that are destructive to people's spirituality, you find that they have so many different kinds of very restrictive regulations. And they really are in line with what Paul says in Colossians 2, beginning in verse 20. They're the commandments of men, touch not, taste not, and handle not. Now God says about some things, don't touch them, taste them, or handle them, but they're making, their, they're, they're making up their own law about that. And, or, and, and oftentimes it sounds more righteous to go back to, to the law of Moses to get those commands, keeping a Sabbath day, uh, keeping a feast day, not eating certain foods, uh, and all this kind of things, where they go back to the law of Moses to get that. So these things get, get blended together in Christianity. But I think for our emailer here to remember the period of time that book this passage was written in, what was really going on here, and the confusion about whether keeping a, a vow in the law of Moses was the same as believing the law of Moses was for your salvation. Those two things aren't equivalent at all. All right, Gary, I beat that one to death. <laughs> you, you had something you wanted to mention about. Let me give the numbers real quick. 772, still got time to call in. 772-340-1590 is the recall, is how you reach us. 772-340-1590. Or I'll just give my text number, 772-260-6120. 
<clears throat> we got a couple of texts from John about this business of the food being clean and so forth and some of the translations. I think I want to look at that during the week here. Maybe we'll talk about that next okay, week. Okay, so I'll just have one Go other ahead. thing I'd like to say. Since, since it's obvious that the Christian must, must not ignore the Old Testament and the law in terms of study. That's my philosophy. <coughs> The, the, the Christian must not ignore that. And, and I've met some Christians who try, Mike. As a matter of fact, I, I, I tried to help one group one time that I was doing some classwork with and teaching that th- their philosophy was, we're not even going to read the Old Testament. Yeah, because it's, it's just for Jews, and the Jews are bad. Right. They don't and even it, believe in Christ, so they're bad, so don't even look at it. I yeah, mean, right. it's a strange and, way of looking and at and it. And I believe, that, that, I believe that's a, a serious error. I believe that's seriously wrong. Uh, myself, uh, that's my my view of it. The question then becomes, Mike, what do we take from it? How do we how do we understand since this has passed away? How do we understand what's valuable to the Christian as part of it and what is not? And and, and my view is is going back to that passage that Jesus quotes about the two great commandments: uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. When we read things in the old law that involve our dealing with other people, we should read those things carefully because those are probably precepts that need to be carried over under love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Now, when we read some passages, how about how long it is, to, how, 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 how to trim your beard, that may not be something we need to pay a whole lot of attention to. Because it's just what we do, and that part of it, I think, is obsolete and passed away. So when we're reading these things, read the Old Testament law with an idea of, is he telling me something that I need to pay attention to in dealing with my fellow man and fellow Christian? And if he is, then I need to pay a great deal of attention to what's said in the Old Testament law concerning that. Because that's telling me... Well, I think you especially can look at the principles... The yes. specifics of exactly how you do that may not be applicable to us, but certainly the principle is the same right. thing. Right, uh, like paying back fourfold if you if you do this if you do this or that. You know, well, but does that mean the principle should, is there? But but the principle that I should pay him back and 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 make restitution and for make what restitution I've done. Yes, those principles are obviously there. Uh, uh, what what people want to do though is they want to say because the law said this then that directly applies to us today and they want to quote that law as if we're supposed to keep that law today and I think that's the problem it isn't going back to get the principles and learning and getting uh, understanding from the principles how God deals with people well let me, let me cite an example in, in, in Leviticus 19 verse 13 this is what it says it says you shall not te- cheat your neighbor nor rob him the wages of him who is hired shall not remain with you all night until morning. You shall not curse the deaf, so on. But, you know, he, he talks about you shall not cheat your neighbor or rob him and you won't keep his wages. There's a principle that I think is now whether or not you have to pay him the next day, day or, or if he agrees, I'll day. pay him every week. You know, yeah, the point is I need to be sure that he's paid. By our agreement. And when and when employers try to finagle with people's wages and, and take away things that they've told them they're going to pay them, they're, they're sinners. Yes. They're wrong. 
And, and I think this is how what, rich they are. This is what we should take away from those Old Testament passages. Right, exactly. Um, I think uh, Ken texted in. Ken texted in. He texted in, uh, that Second Corinthians three fifteen seems to suggest that Jews must read prophets, the prophets, or the New Covenant to believe in John, Yeshua or Jesus. And that passage is. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So if if one is uh, can understand that Jesus is the Messiah, the veil of the law of Moses gets taken away, and you can see what it really means. Now, I I, I think it I think he is saying. He says it suggests that Jews must read the prophets to believe in Jesus. Well, Jesus said the prophets all spoke of him. That's the fallacy of Gentiles, like you were talking about, who who want to not read the law or understand the law. Uh, This goes back to the point that Paul makes in Romans 3, where he says in verse 1, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the prophet of circumcision? much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God of no effect? And so forth. So he says, the chief advantage of being a Jew in the old law system of things, and even among those today who study the law of Moses, is that these are the oracles of God that they can learn about who? All the scriptures point to Jesus. That's the point he's making here. But if you have a veil over your heart and you've rejected Jesus from the outset outright, then the law of Moses becomes a trap and a snare. It doesn't lead you anywhere. And so today when you read hear these preachers and teachers, and you, I'm warning you about them if you're out there listening, who keep wanting to go back to the law of Moses and, and keep you, make you keep these specific commands of the law of Moses about food or drink or holidays or whatever it may be, um, you're, you're being led back away from Christ, not to Christ. They're not showing you Christ in that law. And that's the advantage here. They're the oracles of God that can lead people to Christ. We want to take them and lead them back to Moses. And that's the danger of it. Well, Mike, I, I have been uh, from time to time chided for my study of the prophets. Basically, I've I'll tell you, Mike, unabashedly, I enjoy the study of the prophets in the Old Testament. And I have probably concentrated there more than I should, maybe, but I enjoy it. I'll give you my... uh, And I'll tell you why I enjoy it. I enjoy it because it it helps my faith. Yes. Well, see, here's the thing, folks, about Gary. Gary's a, a, a master engineer very high technically trained in all kind of mathematics and science and all this kind of stuff and dealt with those kind of physical, rational things his entire working life. And I think this has especially been true since you retired. And I was teaching you about poetry, understanding poetry and figurative language and metaphors. This was something that was a little bit out of your wheelhouse at first. But now you had the courage to go delve into it and you see... It's opened up a whole new world, right? It's opened up a whole new understanding of the sure. Old Testament. Exactly. Community. Because there's power in the words of the prophets and, and in what God said that teaches you about God himself and about big things that you can't learn in a mathematical formula. We all love mathematical formulas. They give us computers and they give us all the good things. But there's something other on the other side of life that's powerful too. 
Yes. It's the same thing. And so that's the, that's the beauty. And a lot of people don't want to read the prophets or even the Old Testament because they have to make these mental transitions from to figurative language to metaphors to Apocaly- Apocalyptic and language, apocalyptic, symbolic language. And they have to kind of bring it into the real world then. And we are challenged in that and way understand to do how, this. And understand how to apply it. Then. That's the challenge. It takes a lifetime to begin to, to do it properly. But in the event, I, th- I, think that's the, I think that's the thing that people miss. Everybody wants one scripture that will make a cut and dry case for everything, a magic bullet. And sometimes the Bible's just not like that. You can well, put these scriptures together and get a truth in it. Well, I, 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 I liken it to an old calculator. When I first went to work uh, back in 1970, it was something called a Curta calculator. And it was the only thing that we had that we could go to and do square roots on. This was before the days of these, uh, these little calculators that you buy now, these little digital calculators. And what you did was you put the numbers in and you turned this crank. And you kept turning the crank, and you turned the crank, and then out popped the answer. That's what people want with the Bible. They want to ask the question to the Bible, turn the crank, and out pops the answer for them. Well, of course, it's and, a lot of it's like uh, the, uh, the the magic eight ball that you turned up. They just want to turn yep. the ball and get some kind of answer, and right. just go and go on their way. But, yeah, but they you, want that turn the crank answer. That. No, you can't get. And, and and you have to put effort. God designed that. That's what I'm. I begin to realize, much to my chagrin, God designed it that way. You have to it look. Make, for makes it. you look, and, and you can see we we talked about a fairly difficult subject here this morning. We we read through those scriptures and analyzed a little bit, put them in their proper context, and then looked at compared them to other scriptures, and we came up what I think is the correct answer to the questions that were asked, correct understanding. But it, it's not like it's not like a, a two plus two equal four per se, or today it's two plus two. Could be four if you want it to be, but in any event, put in the question, turn the handle three times, and, and, and now pops, pops the answer. The answer. Yes, that's not that's not how that's not how spiritual matters work. That doesn't mean that there's not a truth that can be arrived at. That doesn't mean that whatever answer we come up with is the correct answer. It just means that it takes this kind of effort to to think through it and to be honest about what it is. And I still haven't written this sermon, Gary. I'm going to call it pushing and pulling. Most of us need to be aware that there are things in our life and in society that either push us to some, some direction or pull us some direction. And if we can realize that those forces are working on us to push us or pull us away from something that's right or in another direction, we can control them and the degree to which we get pushed and pulled into making, uh, making wrong decisions or going in a wrong direction. This is all that addiction is. Addiction is a push and a pull that that colors everything a person decides to do. Every decision they make, every relationship they have gets affected and colored by the push and the pull of some emotional pain or some emotional thing they're trying. People are trying to satisfy. Now, if your li- if your emotional framework is pushing and pulling on you, and you don't even recognize you're being pulled by these tides and these forces, when you read the Bible. It's going to all be muddled to you. You're going to get pushed and pulled by the Bible, too, because you're going to misunderstand what's being said. That's what a plain reading is. Try to lay aside your own personal pushing and pulling and emotions and other factors and read what's it saying. Now then, how does that help me steer this car straight, the car of your life? How does it help me steer this car toward God? And, and uh, I don't know. I'm, it's a, I haven't, you see why I haven't preached a sermon. 
still working this all out in my head. But I think the pushing, I feel the pushing and pulling in me over my lifetime. And I know it's in other people. I see it. Well, there's a bell. Mike, it even existed way back then in the days of the prophets. Remember a few weeks ago we talked about no right or wrong. What's happened today? One of the worst things that has happened to our society today is the idea that there is absolutely no right or wrong. It's right. all it's up all to you. It's all just truth up to you. Which allows that push and pull to go wherever, wherever you, you want. want. Wherever you want it to. And so people get, that's why people get caught up in so many addictions and so many sins that, try, that are, they're making an attempt to satisfy their lusts, their desires. And, and, and here's the trouble. When you abandon morality, I'm going to get my, that, this in my sermon this morning, but when you abandon biblical morality, you create generational problems of people that are being pushed and pulled. Young people today are having the problems they're having, and even older people with all the opiates and drugs and everything else, because we've destroyed homes. We've destroyed lives. We've destroyed mar- the, the means that God gave us for comfort and stability and love and, and meaning have been destroyed by sin, and that just creates a new problem for the next generation. And so it continues to go on and on. Well, we've got a couple of minutes left here. You want to summarize this, and we're going to do it, make it take the last minute. I don't know whether I can summarize everything. Well, that we, well I, it's, it's, it's tough, but one of the things I want to say is basically. You want to talk about, especially about this um, business of, well, now I forgot. Go ahead. Uh, well, basically, this idea of no right or wrong yeah. has, has done so much damage to us. It's from Satan. God called the people who didn't want to have anything to do with right or wrong. He called them a rebellious people right. and lying children in Isaiah 39 and well, 11. All right. you, you can draw a line on a board, right and wrong. Put a line between right and wrong. You and I can disagree about where the line should be drawn. And we can even agree that sometimes we cross the line. That's, that's okay, and that's what normally exists. But it's you when something. you take the eraser and erase the line... Now you've got a big problem, well, that's, and that's where we are today. Yeah, that's the point. You and I would agree that that line belongs somewhere in a band, and we would probably agree to where that band is. Yes, and we can we can have good discussions about that. But then, and we would agree that we often cross the line ourselves and need some, to fix some, that. Sometimes. But because we cross the line, now we want to erase the line. Exactly. Right. Our time is gone here. Uh, but but that's it. Uh, 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 to next week, I want to talk a little bit about love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. That's what and, I'm talking about. And, for, and where it goes in the Old Testament, right. which is part of what we discussed today. Thank you so much for listening today to the show. We appreciate it very much. Hope that you will tune in to the show next week. Take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. And uh, may God bless you this week. Thanks so much for listening. Fulfill my cup, let it overflow, fulfill my cup.